0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another session of Survey of Theology. My name is Stephen Cook, and in today's lesson, we are going to talk about angels, uh, their origin. We're going to talk about their characteristics, their intellect, their will. We're going to talk about fallen angels, otherwise known as demons, evil spirits, unclean spirits. We're going to talk about Satan, his personality, his power, and his destiny. Now, some of the material that I have today is taken from my book, Tears Among the Wheat, Living Righteously in a Fallen World, so I've lifted some of that material uh, to be used in today's uh, study notes. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, 34 books of the Bible teach the existence of angels, and the word angel occurs approximately 275 times throughout scripture, and it translates the Hebrew word malak and the Greek word angelos and And both words, Malach and angelos, both basically mean messenger. Now, the Bible reveals that angels are created beings. In, In Psalm 148, verses 2 through 5, it starts off with, Praise him, all his angels. And then it goes on, it says, Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they they being a reference to everything he's just listed there, for he commanded and they were created. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him, this would be Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, uh, all things have been created through him and for him. <clears throat> so what we must understand is that When God, and this would include the Father, Son, and Spirit, but emphasis upon Jesus, when God the Son created the entire universe and created the earth, angels, I believe, were present at that time of creation. In fact, I'm going to argue that point here in just a little bit. And this will have significance on other passages that we look at. But now angels, when we think about them, they're basically classified as either righteous or evil. Righteous or evil. So we're going to put them in these two camps. Now, among the evil angels, we can break them into two camps, and we can break them into those that are free and those that are currently incarcerated in, uh, in some form of demonic prison. And we may hit that a little bit later. But we basically want to understand that angels are either righteous or evil. Now, because this is a survey course, I'm touching on some of this lightly. Uh, I did a series on angels and demons uh, about a year and a half ago, and that's found on my video channel, my YouTube channel. So, to go back to the notes here, so the former retained their holy state in service to God, and these are called elect angels. They're called chosen angels in 1 Timothy 5.21, whereas the latter angels have defected from their original state and continue in constant rebellion against God. Now, Satan is the leader of all fallen angels. If you look at Matthew 25.41, for example, uh, Jesus here, and this is the judgment that will occur at the end of the tribulation, It says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, notice which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For the devil, and and notice they are his angels. And so this lake of fire that has been prepared is a form of judgment. It is a future judgment. Uh, Satan and his fallen angels have been judged, they have been found guilty, and they have been sentenced. But the... Uh, the execution of the sentence is pending. So uh, that will occur at a future time. But the point that I'm pulling out here is just that that, uh, these fallen angels are in line with Satan. Satan's the leader. Now, Revelation 12, 7 says, now this is halfway through the tribulation here. It says, and there was war in heaven. Think of it. War in heaven. (laughs) Uh, With Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels... And so these are these are the demons and fallen spirits. Uh, they waged war as well. Now, up to this time, uh, angels and demons and Satan currently have access to God in heaven. We'll look at a few passages on that here in a minute. But apparently, halfway through the tribulation, there's going to be a war, and they're going to be cast out. Verse 8, uh, Revelation twelve eight. "...and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven." And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his and his angels, notice that, and his angels were thrown down with him. Uh, now, scripture also designates these as evil spirits. They're called evil spirits in uh, Luke uh, 7.21. They're called demons in Matthew 8.31, and they're called unclean spirits over in Mark chapter 5, verse 2. The Old Testament also refers to them as evil spirits. And we have instances in the Old Testament where God, in his sovereignty, uh, actually controls and uses evil spirits. We have a few examples of this. Uh, One would be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, which says, "...the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and this as a means of divine punishment." And an evil spirit, notice from the Lord, uh, terrorized him. So, uh, on some occasions, God will use an evil spirit as a disciplinary agent, and that's what's going on here. In fact, it mentions that in verse 15 and in verse 16. In fact, the other passage, I believe, is over in Judges chapter 9, verse 23, if I remember correctly. Judges 9:23, which says that an evil spirit. Uh, uh, came between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, so that the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. But the Lord sent an evil spirit in that situation there as well. Now I want to keep angels and demons, and especially Satan and demons, under uh, under God's sovereign control, and we always want to keep that in mind because we don't want angel, we don't want Satan and demons pictured as, as just running out and doing whatever they want. Satan's on a leash. He's on a leash, and God in his sovereignty uh, makes sure of that. Now, three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's called the god of this world. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. Uh, and so Satan is temporarily and in a limited way uh, the ruler of this world. Again, in a limited way for a limited period of time. God always keeps him on a leash. Uh, but he is nonetheless classified or labeled as the ruler of this world again, it's temporary, and God is the sovereign ruler he is he is the uh he is the king of all the earth. In fact, the scripture is quite clear on this it says god uh let me go back to the notes here so God sovereignly rules over all angels, both elect and fallen, just as he rules over everything so according to scripture psalm ten sixteen, the Lord is king forever and ever. And psalm one o three nineteen the Lord is, uh, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all psalm one thirty five verse six for whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth in the seas and in all the deeps daniel four thirty five and He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So we must realize that God in His sovereignty gives freedom to his creatures, both angelic and human, and this to varying degrees. God never creates evil. However, he can and does control those who do. Satan and those who follow him, both fallen angels and people, are ultimately under God's sovereign control, and their evil plans and actions cannot thwart his good purposes because history is going somewhere. Christ is coming back. He will establish his kingdom. But God allows, uh, for a period of time, sin in his world, in this world. And this among fallen angels and this among fallen people. In fact, every time we sin, uh, it is God's sovereign will permitting this to happen. And so we always want to keep his sovereignty in mind as we study these sorts of things. Now, according to Merrill F. Unger, he says, quote, Of the history of the angels we can know but little. It is clear that Satan and his fallen angels were created sinless and later fell." And some of their number did not keep their own domain, but fell under divine displeasure and are reserved for the judgment of the great day, quote. Now, it would seem that God created the angels before he created the universe itself, and that they were present to witness his work. Uh, in the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, uh, God tells Job, he says, quote, "'Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements?' since you know, or who stretched the line on it, on what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone. Notice these. this last verse here, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Stars throughout the Bible on a number of occasions refer to angels, and here we have morning stars singing, I think uh, uh, communicating that these are angels, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, who are these sons of God? Who are these B'nai Elohim? Well, uh, a number of passages in the Old Testament designate them as angels. Now, the Hebrew phrase B'nai Elohim, uh, translated sons of God, appears twice before in the book of Job, and in both instances it refers to angels. In Job one six, it says, now there was a day when the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, HaShatan, the adversary, also came among them. So we have this occurrence in heaven, this heavenly scene, where uh, Satan comes before the Lord. But we have these sons of God. Now, this is a reference to angels coming into this heavenly courtroom. Job two one communicates it again. It says, again, there was a day when the B'nai Elohim, when when these sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Uh, and so the NIV actually gives the sense of the Hebrew phrase by translating it, the angels, and that's how they translate it. Now, I would rather translate it as sons of God. I think that's appropriate, but I think it's clearly talking about angels. Now, angels, both elect and fallen, have volition, emotion, and, and intelligence. The Gospel of John records an account where Jesus encountered two men uh, who were possessed by demons, and the interaction between the fallen angels and Jesus is informative. Now we have this encounter here. It says uh, in Matthew 8:28, when he, that is Jesus, came to the came into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. And they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. Now, that's interesting that their violence was associated with their demon possession. It says, and they cried out. Now, these are the demons. And they, and they say to Jesus, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Now, remember that these demons, before they were fallen, they were created holy like all angels were created holy. And they were present at the creation and they saw the creation. They saw God create everything. And so they were there, and they knew God. I mean, think of it. They knew God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when these demons see Jesus, they see past the veil of his humanity, and they see the second member of the Godhead. They see God the Son, and they address him as such, and and they recognize his authority. And so they say, what business do we have with each other, Son of God? Very interesting. And remember that there's a long history here uh, between them and Jesus, Uh, And so the question then comes, have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, that's loaded, isn't it? That's just a pregnant phrase. And so, to torment us before the time. Well, this speaks of a specific time, the time. And I think that it speaks of the time that we saw back in Matthew 25, 41, which talks about the time of the lake of fire, uh, which at the end of uh, the millennial kingdom in Matthew chapter 20, Uh, We're going to see where Satan, uh, and ultimately his demons with him, are going to be cast into the lake of fire. So they have been judged. They have been found guilty. uh, They've been given a sentence, and that sentence is waiting uh, execution. So they have this time in between their judgment and their, their final placement in the lake of fire. But the question comes, have you come here to Jesus? They say, have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, one of the things that's, uh, that, if you study the Scripture, and Revelation is quite helpful on this, is that there are some angels right now that are currently incarcerated. They're in a demonic prison, and uh, and that could speak of a punishment uh, that precedes the ultimate punishment in the lake of fire. And it could be that that's what these demons are talking about. So that, so maybe they're wondering, have we have we gone too far? Have we crossed a line? You're going to pull us out and place us in prison? Could be can't be dogmatic on these things, but again, it's just very interesting to think about. Verse 30, Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. So moving on in the notes here, Angels are spirit beings that are distinct from humans. They are distinct from humans. We think of this passage in Luke eight twenty seven, where we have this uh, man, uh, when he came onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. So the demons are inside the man, and you have a plurality here. Uh, we have one instance where we have a, a, a number of demons called legion. Now, legion could be a number as high as 6,000. That if you think of a Roman legion, a military, that that number could be as high as 6,000. Well, well, what's the physics of that? You know, how do you how do you get that many compact into that space of one person? You know, what's going on there? Well, we don't know. So there's something going on here. Uh, they are described as being mighty in strength. Uh, they cannot die. Um, in fact, Luke twenty thirty six, for they cannot die anymore because they are like the angels. And the angels are ones who cannot die. They do not marry. Angels are not given in marriage. And this would imply, I think whenever you look at angels in the Bible... And there might be one exception, but every single occurrence uh, presents angels in the masculine, uh, and this would imply that there are only male angels. You don't see any references to female angels. There might be one exception to that, maybe one in the Old Testament, uh, but by and large, uh, they are all male. Uh, and this, and because they do not marry, this also means that there are no baby angels, and no little baby angels running around, no new ones being created. Now the writer to the Hebrews informs us that angels help advance the gospel. Uh, In Hebrews 1.14 it describes them as ministering spirits sent out uh, to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's very interesting uh, because when I'm engaging in evangelism and I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, uh, I'm not doing it alone. Now, I might be there by myself in, in, in person with these people, but I know that there's been a lot of prep work that has been going on in the background, perhaps over years, and that these ministers, we don't know how this works, but these ministers maybe have been keeping them alive, maybe have been introducing them to the right people. Uh, we don't know, but somehow these angels are sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Now, as creatures, angels are not to be worshipped. Not to be worshipped. And they are worshipped by some, and this is uh, this is evil. But they are not to be worshipped. Now, when the Apostle John encountered an angel, on two occasions in the book of Revelation, we're told that he fell at the feet of the angel to worship him. And uh, the angel rebukes him. He says, don't do that. I'm your fellow servant uh, and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So apparently John got a little excited. He got a little overwhelmed, perhaps emotionally, and he fell down and he begins to worship this angel. He doesn't do it just once. He does it twice. You see it in Revelation chapter 22, verse 8, where John says, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, he said it a second time, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren and of the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book worship God uh, so John very interestingly uh, very interestingly enough uh, records these two occurrences, and so it's is a little aside here. I think John may have had a proclivity towards idolatry. Maybe that was something that was part of his sin nature. We all have sin natures that take us in different trends. Some people are drawn to alcoholism, some to drugs, some to lying, some to power, some to lust, some to greed, some to gluttony. I mean, we all have different sin uh, proclivities. And I think maybe John's was that of idolatry. And it could be that's why in, in 1 John five twenty one he closes out his epistle and he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourselves from idols. uh, Because that's a very real possibility for any believer uh, to engage in idolatry. Now, we have two classes of cherubim, uh, excuse me, of angels called seraphim and cherubim. By the way, the I-M suffix here, these are transliterated, transliterated words from the Hebrew into the English. Where they took the Hebrew letters and they just found the English equivalent and brought them over. The I-M suffix makes it Plural. So when you talk about seraphim and cherubim, we might more properly call them seraphs and cherubs. But we have this special class of angels known as seraphim and cherubim. Now seraphim are described as having six wings and are devoted to the worship of God. And you can see that in Isaiah 6. Whereas the cherubim are described as having four wings and are devoted to protecting the Lord's holiness. And uh and by the way, apart from the seraphim and cherubim, all angels look like people. When they take on human form, because apparently they have the ability to take on human form, and even to do things like eat and drink and walk, uh, and so they can take on physical form. In fact, in Hebrews, there's a passage that talks about being mindful, about entertaining strangers. And then the writer of Hebrews says, uh, he says, And for this reason, some of you have entertained angels unaware. You see, you didn't even know because God's testing you uh, to see if you're kind to strangers, and um, and so He says, uh, you know, we should be we should be careful to uh, think about this. For some have entertained angels unaware. So that person on the shore uh, on the on the corner wearing uh, shorts and flip-flops, um, uh, who looks like a beach bum, <laughs> could very well be an angel. We just want to be mindful of these things. We want to be mindful of these things. But again, when you look at angels throughout the Bible, really only the cherubim and seraphim are described as having wings. The rest of them, when they take form, human form, they look just like people. Fallen angels are commonly referred to in Scripture as demons. They are called demons. Uh, we have these angels in Jude 6 that talks about these angels who did not keep their own domain. Very interesting passage. Uh, but abandon their proper abode. And these are ones that are kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So these has to do with that group of angels that uh, that uh, committed some sin. I think this could go back to Genesis 6 and the whole sons of God uh, uh, issue there, uh, which could very well be, and I lean in the direction that those are fallen angels. I did a whole video on Genesis 6 and the sons of God to try to defend that. Uh, But you have these angels who are fallen, and here they are described as being kept in bonds, under darkness, for the judgment of the great day. So there will come a time, but they're currently kept in bonds. You have another reference to uh, these imprisoned angels, uh, referenced in Revelation chapter 9, where it talks about some that are coming out of the bottomless pit, or what the King James Version calls the abyss. Uh, and when he opens it up, this is during the time of the tribulation. These demons are unleashed upon the world. so some demons are imprisoned at the moment, and others are free. Uh, demons that are free are said to possess intelligence, emotion, and volition during the time of the cry, during the time of Christ on the earth, they were able to identify him as the Son of God, and they knew their future fate, they knew that they were going to be ultimately. Uh, uh, facing a time of torment, uh, which I take to be uh, the lake of fire. Now, Satan and demons attempt to frustrate the purpose of God. They attempt to frustrate the purpose of God. You see this in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, and you see the same thing in Luke chapter 4, uh, which has to do with the temptation of Jesus, where they're trying to get him uh, not to trust in God and not to rely upon the word. And this is Satan. Satan is tempting Jesus. Uh, and three times Jesus defeats Satan. Uh, it's recorded three times that he rebuked him using the Scripture, by the way. Uh, the Scripture became the means. We have a very uh, interesting passage in uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. Um, Let me take a moment to develop this. Apparently there was some angelic conflict that was going on at the time when Daniel was on the earth. And Daniel had been praying, and he'd been praying for 21 days. And we have this angel by the name of Gabriel, uh, which also came and spoke to Mary and identified her as the virgin who would uh, bear Jesus uh, in his humanity. But Gabriel has an interesting ministry in the Bible. And here it says, then, he, then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. So apparently Daniel had a heavenly report in which he was regarded as a man of high esteem. He says, Understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Now here's where it gets fascinating. In verse 12, then it it says, Then he, this would be the angel Gabriel, said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Let's pause for a moment there, because there's a lot in here. First of all, 21 days earlier, Daniel had started praying to to God, and immediately his words were heard in, in heaven. Now God, rather than answering Daniel's prayer directly, dispatched this angel Gabriel with a message, the message that you read in Daniel 10, 11, and 12. Those are all the words of, of the angel Gabriel given to Daniel that are recorded for our benefit. But what we have here is God dispatches the angel Gabriel. So 21 days earlier. Well, you say, well, why, why was he a little late showing up? Was that the travel time? Did it take 21 days to get from heaven to the earth? Well, the answer to that is No. Now well, that's not what's going on here. Uh, but God sent him, so this was a heavenly dispatch from God himself to Daniel uh, to deliver this message. But, but Gabriel explains why there was a delay. And he says in verse 13, "But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Now who is this prince of the kingdom of Persia? Well, this has to be a fallen angel, because only a fallen only an angel could oppose an angel in the angelic realm. But it's interesting here that this is one of those passages where the Bible pulls back the curtain and gives us glimpses into reality that we can never know except that God has spoken and it's recorded here. But this prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And what did that angelic warfare look like? What are their weapons? Well, we don't know. But apparently this uh, this fallen uh, uh, demon, and by the way, he's called the, he's called the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which speaks of a geographic region of the world. So this could also imply that fallen angels uh, exist in a hierarchical structure of authority and that some are assigned responsibility over various regions of the world. Very possible. Uh, Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, this would be Michael the archangel, uh, he's called a chief prince here, so he's uh, he's high-ranking. One of the chief princes came to help me. Think of it, an angel coming to help an angel. For I had been left there with the kingdom of Persia, so apparently after twenty-one days there was a stalemate, <clears throat> and uh, and God sent Michael and said, "Okay, go, go, uh, uh, free up Gabriel so that he can break through with the message." And then he says uh, to, in verse fourteen, "Now I have come to give you an understanding of uh, to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to days, uh, for the vision pertains to the days yet future." And so it's very fascinating here. Very fascinating here. You also have um, over in Revelation 16, verses 13 through 16, another passage. And uh, John here records, he says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. And he says, For they are spirits of demons." Now, I want you to notice this as well that these demons are going forth and are having an influence upon the kings of the earth, the world rulers, uh, in order that they might uh, gather their armies together to marshal them for war. And he talks about these unclean spirits, these demons, whom he says perf- are performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world. Uh, why? To gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Isn't that fascinating? And so you have this demonic activity that is influencing um, political spheres. And I'm here to tell you that still goes on today. Demons can possess the bodies of men. And on some occasions, they can even cause disease. And in Matthew 9, 32 and 33, we have this case of a man who uh, was healed. Uh, It says, and as they were going out, a demon-possessed man was brought to them. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke so apparently, uh, this, de- this demonic uh, possession, this demon possession, uh, impaired this man from being able to speak. Now, the ministry of holy angels. Holy angels are those who have remained loyal to God and continue in his service. And so that would be the class of holy angels. And holy angels continue in service to God. And by the way, uh, if you look at uh, Revelation 12, and it talks about the third of the angels that fell... That would mean that two-thirds of the angels continue uh, in service to God. And so that's that's a majority. <laughs> uh, now, let's talk about Satan, his personality, and power. Satan, his personality, and power. And again, if you want to pursue the subject of, of angels and demons more fully, again, I would recommend um, uh, Ryrie, Chafer, uh, uh, Leitner. And if you want to reference my book as well, that's fine. Uh, but you can get more information on that. So let's talk about Satan. Many people think of Satan as the counterpart of God, but this is wrong. <laughs> this is so wrong. Uh, Satan is not the counterpart of God. You see, God is the creator, where Satan is merely a creature. And God is infinitely and eternally good, where Satan was created good, but then turned away in rebellion, leading others to follow, both angels and people. Satan is not the counterpart of God. Rather, he is the counterpart of those angels who maintain their allegiance to God. And to understand this is, is to contrast Satan with good angels, where, as a creature, he properly belongs. Now, the Bible reveals Satan was originally created a holy angel of the class of cherubim. In fact, uh, Ezekiel 28 talks about, uh, talks about uh, the fall of Satan. And it says here again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him. Now, this king of Tyre could have been a human king, uh, perhaps even likely so. But who uh, he's about to address here cannot be a human king, it has to be an angel. And, and you, have this, you have these occurrences where sometimes, like even in Matthew 16, when Peter was opposing the cross, remember when Jesus revealed that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be betrayed and judged and crucified and buried and raised again on the third day. Peter opposed that. And Peter uh, got Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Think of it. <laughs> Peter rebuking Jesus. <clears throat> and he says to him, this will never happen to you. And Jesus replies back. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's very interesting, because Peter was the one who spoke, but I think Jesus understood uh, what was behind that comment. And so he addressed the source, being Satan himself. And I think you have something kind of similar here. Uh, But he goes on, he says, Thus says the Lord, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. And so this is a description of Lucifer, of Lucifer at the time of his fall. And there are several things in this passage that indicate this. So think of the next clause here. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Hmm. Well, no king of Tyre lived long enough to be back in Eden, the garden of God. Uh, Now, Satan was there uh, in the form of a serpent, but he was there. So he says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And then he describes him. He says, um, every precious stone uh, was your covering. He says, the ruby the to- and the topaz, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, uh, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, and the workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you uh, on the day, notice this, on the day that you were created. So there's another indicator here. Uh, the king of Tyre was born, but angels were created. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Uh, they were prepared. Here's verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. And there it is, people. Uh, uh, apparently, Lucifer was created, and he is an angel of the class of cherubim. Of the class of cherubim. Uh, and he says, you were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, and you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Well, we don't know what these stones of fire were. I suppose there's a lot of speculation on that. And he says, you were blameless. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. And Satan's sin was that of pride. It was was that of pride. And so, uh, by the way, sin comes about, is manufactured from the source of our volition. We can face external temptation, we can face internal temptation, we can, we can, but, but sin becomes sin. A temptation is not sin, temptation is the enticement to sin. Sin is when we actually, from the source of our volition, say yes to that temptation. And so we manufacture sin from the source of our own volition. And so Satan uh, was the first sinner. Now think of it, the first sin that took place, took place in heaven. And the first sinner was an angel, by the name of Lucifer, of the class of cherubim, who manufactured this sin from the source of his own volition. And we're going to see what his sin was. It was pride. He wanted to be like God. Now, you can't, but he wanted to be. And he convinced a third of the angels to follow him in this rebellion. So there was this rebellion that occurred in heaven. Now, by the time you get to Genesis 3, sin is already in the world. Sin is already in the world because Satan is already a fallen creature and he comes to tempt Adam and Eve. Uh, Now I think, personally, can't be dogmatic on this, but I think that Satan fell sometime after the sixth day of creation on the earth. And the reason I say that is because God calls everything good, 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 and very good. And I don't think that God could say that if there was sin in the universe, So I think sometime after day 6, and uh, for Genesis 3, sometime in there, there was this sin, this rebellion that occurs in heaven. And the kingdom of darkness that was created at that time uh, was extended to include the earth at the time of the human fall in Genesis chapter 3. But he says, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you and by the abundance of your trade notice you were internally internally filled with violence and you sinned there you have it so he manufactures sin and then it goes on it says and therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and so on he calls him uh, a covering cherub again uh, in verse 16 then in verse 17 he says your heart was lifted up because of your beauty So apparently, he spent too much time looking in the mirror, and he was very, very prideful. And he says, and you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. Now, now that's a very interesting phrase, too, here, because he says you corrupted your wisdom. Now, apparently, Satan was genius, uh, but he corrupted his wisdom. And Satan is not rational. We should understand that. He's not always rational. Uh, And Satan operates from a base of power, not reason. Let me say that again. Satan operates from a base of power and pride, not reason. Now, he will employ reason to the degree that it accommodates his power. But when power is threatened, reason will be abandoned. Uh, and that is typically true for all tyrants. It's true for Satan. It's true for humans as well. But we must understand that Satan is uh, is not altogether rational because his pride uh, uh, he says, you corrupted your re- uh, wisdom by reason of your splendor. Now, moving on over into Isaiah 14, we know what was going on in his heart. And it says here uh, that he says, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, O sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Now think of that. That speaks of the scope of his influence. You who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, and you have these five I will statements. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Stars of God here being a reference to the angelic realm, I take it. And so Satan wants to have his throne above the stars of God. He wants to rule everything. And he says, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the Most High. Now that was the sin that he pitched to Adam and Eve, that you will be like God. And so this was uh, the sin that brought him down. Not only that, but Satan convinced many angels to follow him. In Revelation twelve 4, we're told that his tale, here being a reference to Satan, swept away a third of the stars of heaven. I take that to be a reference to the third of the angelic host. And again, in Revelation 12, 7, uh, we learn about his angels, those who followed him. Now, the name Satan is derived from the Hebrew shatan, shatan, which means adversary, opponent, accuser, opposing party, or the one who hinders a purpose. The Greek satanos Carries the same meaning and is used in and used here, I'm quoting from Badag and in a very special sense of the enemy of God, and of all who belong to God. Quote. Now, other names for Satan include the shining one or Lucifer. He's called the evil one. He's called the tempter. He's called the devil. He's called the god of this world. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the serpent. He's called the great red dragon. Furthermore, Satan is a murderer and a liar, and he is compared to a lion that prowls about looking for someone to devour. And he is also one who disguises himself as an angel of light. Lucifer became Satan at the time of his rebellion, when he declared in Isaiah 14, I'll read this again, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the assembly in the recesses of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. And then the final one here, I will make myself like the Most High. I will make myself like the Most High. Dwight Pentecost uh, states, The desire of Satan was to move in and occupy the throne of God, exercise absolute independent authority over the angelic creation, bring the earth and all the universe under his authority, cover himself with the glory that belongs to God alone, and then be responsible to no one but himself, end quote. And that is taken from J. Twight uh, Pentecost's book, Your Adversary, the Devil. Very good book. Satan seeks to operate independently of God's plan for him. He leads others, both saved and unsaved, to do the same. Lucifer introduced sin and death uh, in, to, in, to the very first humans when he convinced them to turn from God and eat the forbidden fruit. At the time of the fall, uh, Adam handed his kingdom over to Satan, who has been ruling this world since then. It's interesting because, again, three times, Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. And you say, well, when did that happen? And what was the occasion of that? I think that happened at the time of the fall of Adam and Eve. I think when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to disobey the Lord and and to listen to him, at that moment, when they said no to God, when they said not thy will be done, but my will be done, they then turned to Satan, and at that moment, when they chose to follow Satan, uh, Adam and Eve, who held the title deed of the earth, because they were created in uh, Genesis 1:26 and 27 to function as theocratic administrators over the earth, and, uh, and so uh, at that moment, they gave the title deed of the earth over to Satan. Now, this was taken back, I think, at the cross, I think Jesus reclaimed that, but nonetheless, um, well, that's a question mark. Let me let me put a question mark on whether or not that was that happened there. Uh, but nonetheless, I believe that at the fall we have uh, the event where uh, Adam and Eve hand it over to Satan. Now, notice in Luke four five and six, Luke four five and six, it says here, and he led him up. That is, Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. So he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him here in verse 6, And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. And then he says, For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, Satan's a liar, but I don't think he was lying here. I think Jesus would have rebuked him if that were the case. But the question then arises, when was it handed over to me that he took possession of it? And I think that goes back to Genesis 3. I think that goes back to the historic fall. That seems to make the most sense to me. Now, as Christians, we have victory in Christ. At the moment, we trusted Christ as our Savior. Uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, that he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now think of that. He rescued us from this domain of darkness. This is Satan's kingdom. It is his realm. It is called a domain of darkness. And this is the world that we are born into as human beings. Now at the moment of faith in Christ, God rescues us from the domain of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As Christians, we have been gifted with God's own righteousness and will never face condemnation. Uh, Ephesians one three. Furthermore, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, and we are called to serve as ambassadors for Christ, sharing the gospel message with others. God the Father has promised to give Jesus the kingdoms of this world. So that's another point. What Satan took possession of will ultimately be given to uh... to christ Uh, and this will happen and notice psalm chapter two verse eight uh, where the father says he says i will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession now again at the moment satan is called the ruler of this world but there is a time coming when jesus comes at his second coming when he will put down rebellion and that will be both satanic demonic and human And he will establish his kingdom on the earth. And so this reference to Psalm 2.8, I believe, will be fulfilled at that time. Now, this will occur after the seven-year tribulation, at which time it will be said in Revelation 11.15 that the kingdom of the world has become, notice this, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. So that is something that will happen. That is something that will happen and i take revelation 11:15 at least in that section revelation is proleptic now satan was judged at the cross he was judged at the cross there was a judgment that occurred and in uh, john 12:31 it says now judgment is upon this world now the ruler of this world will be cast out in 11:16 he says the ruler of this world has been judged has been judged that that is that is very clear And and he awaits future punishment. His judgment is very near when he is cast out of heaven during the time of the tribulation. So he's been judged and his uh, future time uh, of punishment when he's cast into the lake of fire, he knows that's near when he's cast out of heaven, at which time his wrath is greatest against Israel. Now, after the return of Christ in Revelation nineteen eleven through 16 and the establishment of, of Christ's kingdom upon the earth, Satan will be confined to the abyss for a thousand years. So this is another point. We're talking about his future destiny. In Revelation 20, verses 1-3, through 3, then it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in, in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him. And so, you know, what does this uh, spiritual chain look like? We don't know. But Satan is nonetheless bound for a thousand years. So he's incarcerated during the time of, uh, of Christ's reign upon the earth. So now Satan roams around like a roaring, uh, roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. <clears throat> uh, but during that time, he will be bound. And it says in verse 3, And he threw him, that is the angel, threw Satan into the abyss and shut it over it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. And that speaks of the scope of Satan's influence, that he deceives the nations of the world any longer. And notice, until the thousand years were completed, after these things, he must be released for a short time. And he is released. And he will lead a rebellion uh, against Christ. And that will be shut down. um, And you can read about that in Revelation 20. So afterwards he is released for a brief time and will again deceive the nations and lead a rebellion against God. uh, But will be quickly defeated. Uh, Revelation 20 verse 9 makes that very clear. And he will be cast into the lake of fire where he will remain uh, with his demons and all unbelievers forever. Now, Going on here, let's talk briefly about Satan, his work, and destiny. Uh, And again, we're just doing this as a survey. We're just kind of touching on this slightly. I'm introducing material to you uh, that maybe some of you have never heard before. So there are two errors regarding Satan. The first error about Satan is that he does not exist. There are some who actually teach that. The second error is that he is the cause of all sin in every person. You know, it's the devil made me do it concept. Uh Chaffer states, and here I'm quoting from major Bible themes he says quote, "Since Satan alone is benefited by it uh, is benefited by them, it is reasonable to conclude that he is the author of them end quote that is both of these errors: the error that Satan does not exist, and the error that he is the cause of all sin. so let's talk about the work of Satan for a period of time. Satan is permitted he is permitted to rule over the majority in this world. At the time when Jesus began his public ministry, uh, Jesus faced a series of tests from Satan, one of which was an offer to receive the kingdoms of the world without going to the cross. Again, the passage I looked at earlier, but let's reference it again. Uh, Satan told Jesus, I will give you all this dominion and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, um, I believe here that uh, Satan... Uh, took possession of this domain and its glory, by by God's permission and man's sin, presumably when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and to follow Satan. Again, you can't be dogmatic here, but that would seem to be the most logical point. Satan said to Jesus, "Therefore, if you worship," Satan said to Jesus, "Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours." Now, Satan's offer—think about it. His offer had to be true in order for the temptation to be real. At some time in the future, Satan will share his authority with the Antichrist uh, because the uh, Antichrist advances his agenda. So Satan comes along, and he is going to share his authority with the Antichrist. Uh, and speaking of him in Revelation twelve two, it says, "...and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority." And again, Satan will grant this to some people. He will do it in the future to the Antichrist because, again, uh, it serves his purposes. Three times Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world in John 12.31, in John 14.30, and in John 16.11. Other passages call Satan the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Ephesians 2.2 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. And 1 John 5.19 tells us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John says, he, he says, we know that we are of God and the whole world. But think of it. Think of the scope of this. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan rules as a tyrant, according to Isaiah 14.12, as one who has weakened the nations. Again, speaking of the scope of his influence. And Revelation 12.9 tells us that he deceives the whole world. Again, speaking of the scope of his influence. Satan has personally attacked a few people. Some people say, oh, the devil's after me. Well, the devil did go after a few people in the Bible, but uh, but it was a select few people. And listen, you have to be pretty important for the devil to come after you personally. Now, I think his demons are uh, all around us, and I think that uh, they would love to get their hands on us if God would permit it, and if we're not under angelic protection. But nonetheless, uh, Satan did go after some people. He personally went after Adam and Eve. We know that he went after Job. We know that he went after David. Uh, He went after Joshua the high priest. He went after Judas uh, Jesus. He went after Judas, and he even went after Peter. It's interesting there in Luke 22 where Jesus speaks to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon. It makes me wonder, why did he call him by his old name? Was he acting like his old self? Maybe, and so Jesus calls him by that. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, being the Son of God, Jesus was privileged. Jesus had this privileged information, which he then shares with Peter. And so he tells Peter about this uh, uh, conversation that goes on in which Satan, uh, notice this, has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But Jesus encourages him. He says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now Satan continues to attack God's people today. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter warns us. He says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he's on the loose. He's on the loose, And he practices deception and has very well-developed strategies of warfare. He's a military genius, we might say. Furthermore, humanity is, according to Galatians 1.4, said to be living in an evil age. And Acts 26.18, we are said to be under the dominion of Satan. Uh, that is the majority of humanity. Now, as believers, we belong to God, but we live in a world that is, again, currently under Satan's control. And so uh, humanity is living in an evil age under the dominion of Satan, whose sphere of influence is called the domain of darkness. Now we've talked about the origin of Satan, how he was created holy and, and good, how he manufactured sin from the source of his own volition, how he fell, how he led a rebellion and how Satan came to the earth and he expanded his kingdom of darkness when he convinced the first humans, Adam and Eve, to follow him and they handed the title deed of the earth over to him and he took possession of the earth and he has been ruling since then uh, with a host of of fallen angels, uh, demons, evil spirits, wicked spirits uh, who have been working with him uh, to help promote his agenda in the world. But ultimately the final destiny of Satan is the lake of fire. We should understand that, Uh, which we know from scripture that God created as a special place of punishment. Again, Matthew 25, 41 speaks of the eternal fire, which has been prepared. It has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, those who reject Christ as Savior will join Satan in the lake of fire. That is true. And those who accept Jesus as Savior are forgiven all their sins, Given eternal life and will spend eternity forever in heaven. So as as believers, we are not going to know the lake of fire. We are going to spend eternity with God forever in heaven, and this because we have trusted in Christ as our Savior. Now I skipped over these. I flew through these. Uh, just again, this is a survey of theology. We're just hitting these points just somewhat lightly. I'm introducing certain things to you. Um, but again, there's lots of good material out there if you wanted to uh, chase this down further and to understand angels and demons and Satan and so on a little bit more. But hopefully this has been helpful to you. Hopefully that you have, hopefully you have benefited from uh, this lesson. Uh, and let's see, next time we are going to pick up, we're going to talk about man. So we're going to move into biblical anthropology. Biblical anthropology. So we'll talk about the creation of man. So I thank you very much. I thank you for taking the time to listen to this lesson, and I wish you a blessed day.